And so before we begin to submerge into the depths of the holy waters of our of the truth, the unchanging epigraph of our study of the Word of God is the book of Luke, verse 20, chapter 24, verse 44. Then Jesus said to his disciples, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the Law of Moses, the Prophets, and Psalms. And so we, as the participants of the body of Christ, we share with Christ the fulfillment of all that is written about Him in Scripture. We continue our study of our collaboration with the truth of the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit that reveals the truth within our heart, revealing what we need to do from our side. This is truth we receive by being instructed in the faith. And so this is consisting of the right to the power to put off our former way of life so that we can put off the new way of life. I shall remind us that this is a calling of every person that comes to God. And if a person does not understand this calling, he shall be either saved either by mercy, maybe by chance, or he will perish. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. This is our calling, not running to preach Christ to others. If you have not put off your old self and don't know how to do this and think that you have nothing to put away, put off, that everything's fine, then you are very much in error. Then you must be made new by the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created by God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Apostle Paul talks about the fact that if we're being clothed into our new person, then the corruption is devoured by incorruption. It's truly possible here on earth that corruption or death be swallowed up in victory. The time when he talked about these things was not, was not, had not yet come for this to occur to come to pass. According to the testimony of the apostles and prophets, the given promise was concealed and withheld from the previous centuries and generations. The reason for this is because it is a promise that belongs to the door of our hope. In other words, hope before rapture, this is to occur. According to the words of Apostle Peter, this promise is called to be revealed at the end of the age by the power of God, by being instructed in the faith. And so only that category of saints that will enter the category of the good wife who possess the status of the narrow gate, because we, for all people that are within this world, are a light or salt, and of course then, a gate. They can only enter through the gate. And these gates need to be narrow. If the church does not have the narrow gate, then she is not the good wife, and she is not then called a church. It is either a synagogue of Satan or some other sort of gathering or union and has nothing to do with church. And so why do we need this? so that we can then receive the power to the right to inherit the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ for the price that we have paid to be a student of Christ. 
To fulfill the given commandment, we see three destiny-affecting, commanding, and fundamental acts that we must do, put off, be renewed, and put on. We have noted that it is specifically your decision regarding these three destiny-affecting acts to put off, be renewed, and put on that will determine whether you transform yourself into a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath, or more specifically, will the achieving of our salvation stand or happen that is given to us in the format of guarantee or an investment. When it is given in the form of a seed, it's as a guarantee, or will we lose it forever, which will then result in our names being forever blotted out of the book of life. Salvation is given to us in the form of a guarantee, in the form of a seed. And for us to be saved, we need to grow this seed into the fruit of righteousness. And if we don't grow into the fruit of righteousness, then our names will be blotted out of the book of life. In a particular format, we already looked at the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill so that by the means of an already renewed mind, we begin the process of clothing ourselves into the power of our new person? that is created in accordance to God and Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. And so relevant to this, we stopped to study the mystery that is contained in the format of an allegory in the 18th Psalm of David. Although this truth is poured out throughout Scripture, but the Holy Spirit had uh, stopped us at this allegory where the Holy Spirit, with the wisdom and authority that He alone has, reveals the demands in this magnificent allegory according to which we are called to collaborate our faith prayer with the name of God El Elyon, or God Most High. The essence of this condition consists in this, that in the circumstances of our hardship, when we are putting off the old man, we can call upon the Most High as to our God and confess the faith of our heart, stating who God is for us in Christ Jesus, what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, who we are to God in Christ Jesus, and what do we need to do to inherit all that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. The given allegory is one of the most powerful and all-capturing examples demonstrating the collaboration of our renewed mind as King David and God Most High and their violent conflict with the carnal mind in the form of King Saul and governing sin in the form of our old person with his deeds who supports our carnal mind. And we've inherited him uh, genetically from the seed of our fathers. To then erect within our mortal body the stronghold of eternal life and clothe our mortal body into the imperishable pearl nacre, the fruit of righteousness. Three kings in one body. It's this is difficult and it's not simple. And these kings resist one another when a person leaves his nation, the house of his father, and his destructive desires. When he leaves his life in the flesh, infancy, if he doesn't, then he has complete quiet there. He doesn't understand what we're then talking about specifically. Inside there is a battle, they will understand where what this battle is about. And it's not just two kings, but three kings, and each one fighting for the body of a person, so that this body become their temple. 
be their house. In its character, the prayer psalm of David contains three parts where we see demonstrated an example of the character of legitimate prayer that belongs to us as kings, priests, and prophets. I shall remind us that the virtue of a king consists in our mind being renewed by the spirit of our mind, which gives us the power to the right to control the emotional aspect that is in our body and put them under the bridle as a horse of battle. The virtue of a priest gives us the power to the right to approach God as a warrior in prayer so that we can perform a legitimate intercession for the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. The virtue of a prophet gives our new person the right to enter into the devere, the holy of holies. This is so that we can hear the voice of God at the mercy seat, that is the lid of the golden ark within our heart, and therefore give God the proper foundation to hear the voice of our intercession so he can respond to us. First part identifies the state of the heart of David as a warrior in prayer, which is the required basis for the legitimate status of his prayer belonging to kings, priests, and prophets. The state of the heart you will have is the kind of prayer you will have. Second part opens up the consistency of the legitimate prayer itself, which belongs to kings, priests, and prophets, which gives God the proper basis to deliver David from the hands of all of his enemies, David and us as well. Third part illustrates the prayer battle itself in an epic way, which is beyond the limitations of the typical human mind. In the previous services, we already looked at the first part and stopped to look at the second part, which opens up the consistency of legitimate prayer that is made by a warrior in prayer, utilizing the eight names of God Most High. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me, and so therefore... Psalm 18, 1 through 4, eight names. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. My rock in whom I take refuge. My shield. The Lord is the horn of my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. In a specific format, as much as God has allowed in the measure of our faith, we have already studied our inherited lot in Christ Jesus, studying the power of four names of God, my strength, my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, and have stopped to study our inherited lot in Christ Jesus, studying the name of God, Rock of Israel. The name of God, Rock of Israel, identifies the nature of the Most High and the character of His Word, belonging to the lot of warriors in prayer. In Hebrew, this name contains the following unearthly virtues, a sharp end or edge of a cliff, a stone, a stone defense, blood, the shadow of a cliff, victorious, elephant tusk, elephant ivory, eternal governing, the promise of imperishable food, the comfort of peace. We will remember that the existing nature of prayer where David confesses his lot contained in the eight names of God Most High means that this prayer is made within the boundaries of a covenant made with God because the number eight is the number of the covenant. Specifically, on the eighth day, the child was circumcised, a male child, and that is when he was named. Until this time, he did not have a name. And on the eighth day, when he was circumcised, he was given a name, and God 
commanded Abraham that every infant that is male be circumcised in the eighth day. And he said the circumcision would be an eternal covenant upon your flesh, upon your body with me. This is an eternal covenant. Number eight. Secondly, the given prayer is a strategic teaching, which is called to be our calling and royal garments. So it can clothe us into the virtue of warriors and prayer, into the virtue of kings, priests, and prophets, who are anointed by the Holy Spirit to bring about governance over their mortal body. Considering such a necessary tandem or such a union of God with man, to clothe our mortal body into the pearl nacre of immortality, it becomes vital for us to identify within each aspect of our essence the role of God and the role of man. I will say that the role of God is always the role of a helper. He took upon himself the role of helper and us as the one leading. We have to make the decision and choice. And when we make the decision and choice, then he as a helper will help you. As when Jesus, he made the decision and choice in the Gethsemane Valley, he said, uh, if, it, if it be your will, may this cup be taken from me. But not my will but your will be as soon as he said not my will but your will be the angel appeared and supported him and he was heard for his reverence he called to God in his reverence I shall remind us that as a common tragedy the majority of Christian people due to their ignorance which is a result of their stiff neck are inherently attempting to fulfill the role of God This is to their own destruction. The reason is because when you fulfill the role of God, you present yourself as God. It's not important that he doesn't understand that. While he's an infant, he doesn't understand this. God doesn't account this to him as death, but it is a sin. But time comes, and when the time finishes and a person continues to fulfill God's role, strives to become prosperous, to practice spiritual gifts, evangelizing, absolutely not understanding or even uh, comprehending the fact that it is God's role. He is the master of gifts and he distributes them as he pleases. You can create any kind of groups that you would like and teach people how to practice spiritual gifts and you'll never learn. You can't learn this. A person presents himself Uh, for, for the work of the Holy Spirit and He knows how to use you. We say sometimes, Lord, I want you to do this through me. I want this. But He says, I want that you intercess and that you pray for your body to be redeemed. The rest is not for you to worry about. And so, to differentiate our role from God's role, we came to the necessity to study four classical questions. What characteristics and categories identify our inherited lot in the name of God, Rock of Israel? What purpose, as it relates to achieving our salvation in the formation of which lies the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ? Is our inherited lot called to accomplish in the name of God, Rock of Israel? What price do we need to pay to provide God a proper foundation or basis to be our rock of Israel, to achieve the salvation of our soul given to us in the seed of the kingdom of heaven, in the format of a guarantee? And by what results do we need to determine that God truly is our rock of Israel as it relates to achieving our calling, consisting in the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ? Only having grown in the tree of life, 
only having grown the tree of life within the Eden of our heart, as the fruit of a a restrained tongue, a person becomes a partaker of the good wife, due to which the grace of God begins to rule in his heart. Before this time, this cannot happen. How can he rule in the body if a person is stumbling and constantly being attracted by various winds of doctrine? How can he even be a person be led by the Holy Spirit when he's doing these things? There is no grace there and never has been. They say you're under grace, but he's lied to. He is under the law. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.21 Only when we have grown from the seed of justification, the fruits of righteousness, as the tree of life that bears fruit 12 times a year our fruits, only then can the grace uh, govern within us. But before this happens, uh, it is sin that reigns. In a specific format, we already studied the essence of the first two questions in the previous services. So we will turn our attention to question three. This is the condition that gives the Holy Spirit the right foundation to lead us into the inherited lot that is contained in the name of God, Rock of Israel. The essence of the third question, what price needs to be paid so that we can provide God a proper foundation to be our Rock of Israel. First component of the price called to give God the proper foundation to be our rock that has been the element of our food and subject of our attention consists in our decision to heed the commandments of the Lord, which will give us the power to the right to come out of Babylon that lives within our body that mixes the revelations of the preached to us word with the products of our intellect. This is Babylon that lives within our body, as well as the Babylon that represents our churches, that is, the sermons of those who have authority, who mix and pervert the truth with the products of their intellect. Coming out then will allow us to find the good wife who possesses the virtue of the narrow gate. Second component of the price that gives God the proper foundation to be our rock as our refuge is the price for the ability to live with the devouring fire of holiness. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. He will dwell on high, his place of defense will be the fortress of rocks, bread will be given him, his water will be sure. Isaiah 33, 14 through 16. And so here it's referring to, again, it says his place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. He will be given this rock. Isaiah, again, 33, 14 through 16. In the given allegory, the reward for our ability to live amongst the devouring fire of the holiness of the Most High is presented in four signs. We will dwell on high. Our place of defense will be the fortress of rocks where Satan will not be able to come. There will be peace there, and the devil will not be able to approach our heart or our mind. Bread from above will be given to us. The living water of the Holy Spirit received by us as the Lord and Master will become water in our heart that will be sure or that will not run out.
At the same time, the price for the right to the power to live amongst the devouring fire is contained in five acts. To walk righteously and speak uprightly in your heart, despise the gain of oppressions, gesture with your hands refusing bribes, stop your ears from hearing of bloodshed, shut your eyes from seeing evil. We already looked at four components of the reward that is called to motivate us to encourage us to fulfill five necessary conditions that will allow us to live with the devouring fire of holiness and have been studying the first of five conditions of the price, giving us the right to live with the devouring fire of the holiness of the Most High. This is the, the decision to walk righteously and speak uprightly in your heart. Psalm of David, Psalm 15, 1 through 2. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Psalm 15, 1, 2. <clears throat> Further, Isaiah had repeated this very truth. You see, David already talked about this, and then prophet Isaiah had expanded then this very thought. But David was the one who said it first. We have noted that we cannot study righteousness and truth as something identical, although they are similar in the same way as a son is similar to his father and a daughter is similar to her mother. But a mother and daughter are not identical and the father and the son are not identical, but they are similar. As truth reveals itself in righteousness, just like a father reveals himself in the son or as the seed reveals itself in the fruit, the seed and the fruit are not the same, although they uh, are one from the other, come from one, one from the other. According to this, justice or righteousness is truth in action or a result of what truth produces. We already looked at the first three questions in the previous service. What is uprightness as truth and righteousness in its essence as well as its definition? What purpose is uprightness as truth and righteousness called to fulfill within our relationship with God? What conditions do we need to fulfill so that we can keep ourselves within the boundaries of uprightness and righteousness? And for this, we need to know them and have been studying question four. By what results can we examine ourselves that we are within the territory or to ter territorial boundaries of uprightness as it relates to truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live in the devouring fire which is in the house of the Most High. The results are fruits of righteousness or evidence of the fact that uprightness as truth and righteousness are abiding in our heart. It is by this that we can determine that we truly possess the nature that is in accordance with the nature of God and not a counterfeit form of this nature. In a specific format, we already studied five of the signs or five of the co components included in the result by which we can determine that we are within truth and righteousness. Six, the next result that we are within the boundaries of truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live with the devouring fire of holiness, is righteousness that leads us from eternal death into eternal life. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. Proverbs 11.19 Righteousness leading us from the atmosphere of death into the atmosphere of life consists in brotherly love, which according to scripture is good in the form of the greatest good work. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John 3, 14, 15. We've noted that this is a discipline that is being studied on Sunday, that brotherly love is such a discipline that can demonstrate itself exclusively within the atmosphere of the fear of the Lord. Because the fear of the Lord 
is God's wisdom within our heart. If we don't have this wisdom, we will not be able to abide in brotherly love. If the fear of the Lord will not abide within the heart of a man, and his heart will not abide in the fear of the Lord, which regulates the norms of a legitimate relationship of man with God and with one another, a person will not have any opportunity or ability to demonstrate the selective love of God in brotherly love. In the fear of the Lord there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Proverbs 14, 26, 27. If our relationship within brotherly love satisfies the norms that the fear of the Lord lays out, then this means that we are within the lines of the boundaries of truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live with the holiness of the devouring fire within the house of the Most High. Seventh sign uh, or result that we are within the boundaries of truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live with the devouring fire of holiness that is within the house of the Most High, is having the morning star in your spirit, which is the testimony of righteousness. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Revelations 2.26-28 through 28. This is given to the one who overcomes. And so the one that keeps it to the end, it says, that is being continual and constant. It's important when a person continues to be faithful. This is what God values. Often people of the flesh, carnal men, are trying to uh, do something zealously and then so, and quickly they uh, leave it. But a spiritual person will never say, this is not mine. They will, until the last breath, fulfill their calling and they will not uh, in any way connect this or somehow associate it with his emotions. This is the truth that he heard the, from the preached word he's heard, and he will behave according to that information. Obtaining the morning star is discovering a revelation in your heart in the fruit of the grown by us Methuselah, which will be a guarantee in our heart, testifying of the fact that we will be raptured and will meet the Lord upon the clouds and will forever be with Him. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he has he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Hebrews 11.5 And such a testimony, this testimony was in his firstborn, Methuselah, who drives away death. He had overcome within his body death. He had received the promise of the adoption of his body by the redemption of Christ. And God allowed him to not die. He was the first not to die but be taken alive to heaven. Because as soon as he was, Methuselah was born, death uh, stopped its existent and what was corrupt became incorrupt. And so such a testimony is the received seed of promise into the soil of our good heart, which we are called to grow into the fruit of righteousness, called to rule within our mortal body in the form of the stronghold of life, so we can convert our mortal body into an immortal body that is in the likeness of the leader and finisher of our faith. I trust that we are now aware that the revelation of this promise belongs to the door of our hope, which is the hope of our trust, when we will be given back the once lost by us vineyards, the valley of Accor, and the song of our youth, 
which are associated with freedom from sin and death. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her vineyards from there and the valley of Accor as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. Hosea 2.14.15 The place where God will speak to our hearts so that He can place into our heart the guarantee of this unique testimony is the wilderness representing or symbolizing total sanctification that pursues the goal of total dedication for service to God. First, from the wilderness of sanctification, God at the door of rapture returns the once lost by us vineyards, that is, the restoration of our calling, these vineyards, the restoration of our calling, where we are called to demonstrate holiness, giving us the right to the power to perform righteousness consisted in the just the justice of God. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians 4, 7, 8. It's talking here about the fact that the holiness God called us to is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Those are the words of his delegated ones. And if we're not obedient to the person whom God has sent, and we uh, decide everything with our mind, or mixing with certain, uh, certain things with the ideas of our mind, and so the one who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us the Holy Spirit. Second, from the wilderness of sanctification, God returns the lost by us valley of a core. This is accepting into your heart the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of your life in the form of the Feast of the Pentecost. In essence, the Feast of the Pentecost, all of, the, all of our debts are zeroed out or reset to zero, and we return to the inheritance of our lot that was sold to our brother to pay our debts. And if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, you shall not compel him to serve as a slave. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. And then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his fathers, for they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear your God. Leviticus 25, 39-43. In the given situation, our lot, being the possession of our fathers by faith, are our bodies in which we live. The symbol of our brother, to whom our bodies were sold, when we became poor, is the law of Moses within the body of Christ. In the given place of Scripture, the word becomes poor means by the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, die for the law by the law, so that he can belong to the resurrection of Christ. Jesus became poor on the cross, and when we die with him, we become poor. We become poor. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which are aroused by the law were at works in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. And so this person, as he's stating here, people were not under grace, they were under the law. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Third, from the wilderness of sanctification, God returns the lost by us youth where 
we came out of Egypt and sing songs to God. This is a symbol of clothing our body into the new person. In that day there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. Not in the mid not in the middle of Israel, but in the middle of Egypt. And it came to be for a sign and for a witness to the Lord of hosts in the land of Egypt. For they will cry to the Lord because of the oppressors. And he will send them a savior and a mighty one, and he will deliver them. Then the Lord will be known to Egypt. And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and will make sacrifice and offering, yes, they will make a vow to the Lord and perform it. And the Lord will strike Egypt, He will strike and heal it. They will return to the Lord and He will be entreated by them and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians will come to, into Egypt and the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. In that day Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt my people, and Assyria the work of my hands, and Israel my inheritance. This is Isaiah 19, 19-25. The symbol of Egypt in the given prophetic allegory in the middle we see an altar of the Lord and a pillar to the Lord at its border. This symbolizes the body where by the means of adoption, by the redemption of Christ, the stronghold of life is erected. This altar in the middle of Egypt is the stronghold of life. The symbol of Assyria in the given prophetic allegory is our soul that is lost in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and risen from the death of the Lord Jesus in His resurrection. The symbol of the highway by which Assyria will go to Egypt and Egypt to Assyria so that we can serve the Lord together is the symbol of the collaboration of our mouth with the intelligent abilities of our soul that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit and vice versa. The symbol of Israel that serves God in the middle of the land will be the third together with Egypt and Assyria. This is the symbol of our spirit that is our sacred person. <clears throat> the symbol of the blessing that is in the middle of the land that the Lord of hosts will bless is the rod of our mouth that praises God. To check and examine ourselves as to whether we have the testimony which is the guarantee of our rapture is to be done by the presence of victory over the ancient serpent called devil and Satan who who deceives the whole universe. This victory is to be demonstrated in casting out the ancient serpent and his angels to the earth. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of his brethren who accused them before our uh, uh, before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death Revelations 12 7 through 11 when it says that he was thrown out and I heard a loud voice saying that the kingdom of our God has come that's the uh governing the enthroning of the stronghold of life in our body. In the given metaphor, the phrase regarding the dragon cast to the earth signifies our victory 
which gives God the proper foundation to return to us the once lost by us vineyards, valley of Accor, and our youth in the form of the stronghold of life. First, victory over the ancient serpent consists in utilizing the truth contained within the power of the blood of the cross of Christ, functioning within the atmosphere of brotherly love. We therefore use this truth to cleanse our conscience from dead works and have deprived the ancient dragon, that is, the old person within our body, the power over our body. Second, the phrase, they did not love their lives to the death and victory over the ancient serpent consists in us not consist in us using the truth which is contained in the power of the cross of Christ functioning within the atmosphere of brotherly love we have been separated and delivered from the carrier and producer of sin that is the old person with his deeds do not love your life to the death means by the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ die for your nation the house of your father and for your corrupt desires of your soul first this means to separate from people who have clothed themselves into the look of wisdom which consists in self-willed service, humbling and exhausting of their body, and somewhat negligence in providing for their body. And second, this means to separate from people that have clothed themselves into garments of religious bacchanalia and consideration for the flesh they have turned it to lust. As it is written, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lusts, Romans 13, 13, 14. If if within our body the bright and morning star has risen, which includes victory over the ancient serpent, then this means that we are within the boundaries of truth and righteousness, giving us the ability to live with the devouring fire of holiness. Second condition that when fulfilled gives the right to the power to live in the house of God with the devouring fire of holiness is the requirement to despise the gain of oppression. Greed or covetousness is an unlawful earning or gain. This identifies love for money demonstrated in idol worshipping. In Hebrew, to despise the gain of oppressions means to reject the power of love for money over yourself, to forsake the power of love for money over yourself, and abhor love for money as idol worshipping. We need to apprehend well that covetousness or greed Those that oppress and take from their brothers by manipulating their financial means, these are people that are worshippers of perishable wealth and are idol worshippers who do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourself be cheated? No, you yourself do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous. Uh, meaning greed, covetous is greed, nor drunkards or revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 7 through 10. If we do not use the labor of our brothers, do not withhold or lower their wages for their work, and do not charge interest for money that we have loaned them, then this means that we despise the gain of oppression and can live in the house of God with the devouring fire of holiness. And of course, then, if we do do these sorts of things, which we charge interest for money that we loan, then that means we cannot live, then, in the house of God. 
Third condition that, when fulfilled, gives us the right to the power to live in the house of God with the devouring fire of holiness is the requirement to gesture with your hands refusing bribes. Bribe is extortion in the subject of money, items, or other valuables, such as gifts that are given to an official for doing something in the interests or on behalf of the one giving. That is unlawfully. In our relationship with one another, a bribe in the form of money or other gift is also an unfaithful judgment and oppression of others for the purpose of personal interest. The, uh, Proverbs 29.4 The king establishes the land by justice, but he who receives bribes overthrows it. When it's talking about land, it's talking about our body. Those who love uh, gifts, as it were, bribes, they destroy their body, they overthrow their body. And so you will then harshly uh, be ill and uh, die. In the given proverb, the king is the intelligent aspect of our soul that is renewed by the spirit of our mind. Our land for which our king, as our renewed mind, takes responsibility, this land implies our mortal body. If our relationship with one another satisfy the requirements of justice, we confirm the promise that is given to our mortal body. The promise is the adoption of the body by the redemption of Christ. If we unfaithfully judge for the sake of gifts, we destroy the covenant of peace between ourselves and God and in this way deprive God of the right or the proper foundation he needs so that he can adopt our body by the redemption of Christ. Therefore, the requirement to gesture with your hands refusing bribes is addressed to the saints or to the holy people regarding your relationship with one another, which is a commandment and law. If this commandment is, viol is violated, then our names will be blotted out of the book of life. Proverbs 15.27, He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. And so greed for gain is one that loves gifts in the form of bribes for which he is ready to accuse the innocent so that it would be in the benefit of the guilty one. Surely oppress, oppression destroys a wise man's reason and a bribe defaces the heart. Ecclesiastes 7.7 7. In the given place of scripture, a wise man becomes foolish by oppressing others for the sake of gifts that are received from oppressors and they destroy his heart and he walks to his own destruction which does not sleep. The requirement to gesture with your hands and refuse bribes is addressed to the saints regarding their relationship with one another since as a plague it has defiled the nation of God in the time of the law of Moses and all the more it defiles the nation of God today in the time of the law of grace. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water, your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follow after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Therefore the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, uh, I will rid myself of the adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. Isaiah 1, 21 through 24. When it says they do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. When we become fatherless and when we're widows, we die for the house of our father, fatherless and widow, we die for our personal life, our flesh. And then we become defenseless in that moment and it's easy to harm us. We in this way will not be able to defend ourselves. And so people that take bribes can easily accuse us for those bribes. It doesn't mean it's only money. 
they can accuse just to look good in someone's eyes. They can accuse... Uh, it could be somebody that's popular or famous, and in order to please them, they begin to agree with these people, although they are wrong. In, in you, they take bribes to shed blood. You take usury and increase. You have made profit from your neighbors by extortion and have forgotten me, says the Lord God. Behold, therefore, I beat my fists at the dis dishonest profit which you have made and at the bloodshed which has been in your midst. Can your heart endure or can your hands remain strong in the days when I shall deal with you? The Lord, I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. Ezekiel 22, 12-14 you see how many places, prophecies God speaks regarding defending the fatherless, the widow, the stranger from these extortioners, from these people that accuse their brothers. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take gains, uh, grain taxes from him, Though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Amos 5, 11 through 13. If we despise the greed of oppression, then... This is the result that gives us the right to the power to live in the house of God with the devouring fire of holiness. Fourth condition, the full fulfillment of which gives us the right to the power to live in the house of God with the devouring fire of holiness, is the requirement to stop your ears from hearing of bloodshed. According to the given requirement, we can conclude that to stop your ears from hearing of bloodshed is the role and prerogative of man that requires his voluntary decision and action. The reason for why a person is called to stop his ears from hearing of bloodshed consists in our ability then to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit within our heart. If our ears going to be open for bloodshed, then we will not be able to hear the Holy Spirit in our heart. We together are created in such a unique way that our ear is not able to simultaneously hear and focus on information that is coming from two different in their nature wellsprings that are opposite of each other and resist one the other. From, and so that's why many of us are, are in contradiction with me or yourselves, even inside. They don't talk about this out, uh, outwardly. They resist me. And in themselves, they resist the truth. The reason is because you listen to information from a different wellspring. You haven't hurt, closed your ear. Because all wellsprings are wellsprings that shed blood. These wellsprings that you listen to, these are springs of bloodshed. They will shed the blood of your neighbor. They will shed the blood of Christ as your neighbor, first of all because you cannot listen to the Holy Spirit that is the word spoken by God's person and the voice of internet and other people that you may watch and then with your mind you begin to uh, draw your own conclusions that these are spiritual, these are not spiritual this is you're ready to receive, these are you're not ready to receive understand that the virus a virus is a spiritual thing this is a very spiritual thing. 
And this is an individual that has an intellect and a selective intellect. This virus chooses who to attack and who to kill. And you say this is not a spiritual thing? Every virus is supported by unclean spirits. Today, there's another uh, another pretty much wave of illnesses coming. Again, all countries are in chaos what to do. They think finally it's about to end and it comes again. What, what's, what's happening? What can we do? Because the people of that uh, country did not listen to the leaders and refused to take the vaccine. In Russia, not even 10% are vaccinated. And now there is, there is a lot of illness going on right now. There is a, a, a new wave of illness. There is never before. Thousands and thousands of people are dying. And they have the resources that other countries uh, w would dream to have. I saw people in uh, that in Italy would sleep in lines just so that they can uh, receive a vaccine. They want to receive it. But there are others that I think the most... Uh, the most uh, pretty much in some sort of... Uh, trouble or possession even would say they're disobedient to authority there are a lot of doctors that have nothing to do with the government they and so vaccines are a very specific thing to understand and so certain people don't advise you to and don't advise people to take it but they don't understand what they're advising from the place of the sacred person in whom the grace of God has found a home that takes has taken governance by the righteousness of his faith from the flesh where reigning sin has found its home that is the old person that lives within the body and so again the flesh reigns this reigning sin found at home in the old person and the uh, sacred person has the grace of God the, informi the information that we will be listening to will be clothing us and catching us into its net. And in this way, we are put in dependence of that information. As a result or consequences, this information will become our worship and our God, to whom we will burn incense and to whom we will be bringing offerings of thanksgiving. If we decide to listen to information that comes from our flesh that is supported by the old person, representing the organized powers of darkness, then the theme of bloodshed will become our food and our drink. Bloodshed is our hatred for our neighbor that comes from jealousy because of their success in their relationship with God. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John 3.15 We need to ask a question. How upon practice do we stop our ears from hearing bloodshed that will be brought to our ears as negative information about our brother who is our neighbor? Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Matthew 10.16 The wisdom of the serpent consists in this. 
Because a reptile that we see, all kinds of snakes, snakes and serpents, they're not cunning. The cunning one was, uh, was the one in the garden. And so that's a weakness of mind, not a strength of mind. But the serpent, as a simple serpent, the wisdom of the serpent consists in this. When he hears music coming from a sorcerer or a, a magician, they play the flute. The music of this flute is supposed to hypnotize the snake because it begins to lose uh, control and begins to obey. And it has poison but is not able to use it, has venom but can't use it. Why? Because it, she wasn't able to cover her ears uh, timely. And so what does it do? She serp the serpent presses one ear to the ground and covers the other ear with its tail. And in this way, he cannot hear the words of the sorcerer. In the given situation, the ground that the serpent pressed one ear against is to, per to be perceived as information that abides in the good soil of our heart, as the faith of God. We need to listen to what is in the soil of our heart, considering that the tail of a serpent or snake is its control, giving it the ability to direct its way so that it can find food. The tail that the serpent uses to close the other ear so that he does not hear the sorcerer is our mouth that confesses the faith of God that abides within our heart. Specifically confessing the faith of God abiding within our heart catches us into its nets and makes us deaf to any negative information that is not the faith of God. Hear you deaf, O look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Here it's talking about our Savior. Is Who is blind as he who is perfect? And blind as the Lord's servant, seeing many things, but you did not observe, opening the ears, but he did not hear. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. Isaiah 42, 18 through 21. If we possess the ability to close our ears so that we do not hear bloodshed by confessing the faith of God that abides within our heart, then this speaks of the fact that we are given the right to the power to live with the devouring fire, identifying the holiness of the Most High in the house of God third component of the prize that gives God the proper foundation to be our rock of, as our refuge consists in our conscience and voluntary decision to identify with the death of Christ so we can receive the proper foundation to be identified with him in his resurrection. Symbolically, the death of Christ as well as his resurrection was linked to the cave or space that was hewn out of the rock. You know, the death of Christ uh, uh, happened in the tomb and he resurrected from there as well. Pilate marveled that he was already dead and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, took him down and wrapped him in the linen and he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mark 15, 44-46 to pay attention to the fact that the tomb that was hewn from the rock by a council member of the Sanhedrin from Arimathea by the name of Joseph upon the territory of his own garden that was planted with olive trees that exists even today was beforehand prepared by Joseph for himself and his house but after was voluntarily given for the burial of the body of Christ that was destroyed by the pilots of, uh, by Pilate's soldiers this was very normal for the era of the time in which Joseph of Arimathea lived and the time in which 
Jesus Christ himself was born, as the Son of Man, so that he can free our body from the shackles of death and corruption with his resurrection. And so, in this tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, so that we may inherit the given to us by God's law in the name of God, Rock of Israel, we need to utilize the principle of the collaboration of our faith with the faith of God, where we are to count ourselves dead to sin, living for God, proclaiming the non-existent as existent. Therefore, to collaborate your faith with the faith of God, containing our inherited law in the name of God, Rock of Israel, is to pay the appropriate price to then enter this lot. In the given situation, this is to pay the price for the right to die in the death of our Lord Jesus, who is buried in the rock, so that we can receive the proper foundation to collaborate our life with the life of the Lord Jesus in His resurrection that is in the very same rock. For the patriots of the Israelite nation, it was significantly important to be buried in the tomb of your fathers, in the rock of Machpelah before Mamre. This desire was a significant, deep, and spiritual symbol. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them, and he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. Then he charged them and said to them, I to be, I am to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron uh, the Hittite as a possession for burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Genesis 49, 28-33. The burial cave in the rock upon the field of Machpelah before Mamre within the land of Hebron, for which Abraham paid Ephron uh, the Hittite 400 shekels of silver is the symbol of the price for the right to be buried in the death of Jesus Christ. Their names that are associated with the purchase of the burial cave in the rock upon the field of Machpelah before Mamre in the land of Hebron for 400 shekels of silver contains the conditions which gives God the proper foundation to lead us into the inheritance for the lot of the resurrection of Christ, which reveals itself in the name of God Rock. Ephron the Hittite is the owner of the burial cave that was on the field of Machpelah, that is before Mamre. He came from Canaan, son of Ham and grandson of Noah. Heth, who was the forefather of the Hittites, was the firstborn. Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn Heth. Mamre and Amorite, Mamre the Amorite, that lived in the land of Hebron, was an ally of Abraham in the land of the Ab- in the land that Abraham lived, where he planted a garden of white oak trees and built an altar to God. Also came from Canaan and was the firstborn of Jebus, who was the firstborn of Heth. The name Mamre in the Aramaic language means the word. The name Hebron, which is where this uh, tomb is, means a place of union or a place of a covenant. This is the ability to conceal the word of the covenant within your heart, linked to the rod of our mouth that confesses the faith of our heart, which is a part of our body and belongs to the virtue of our body. We know that the name Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the son of Noah, from whom the world populated after the flood, this is a symbol of an individual person who is called the way 
or called this way because he has a spirit, soul, and body. The name Shem means glory. This is the symbol of our spirit. The name Ham means hot or living. This is the symbol of our body. And the name Japheth means may God expand. This is the symbol of our soul. If we paid attention, Ephron the Hittite and Mamre the Amorite, living in the land of Hebron, that became the place of a covenant between God and man, are symbols of our body. We can conclude that Abraham, having an agreement with Mamre the Amorite and purchasing the burial cave from Ephron the Hittite, symbolically pursued the goal consisting in the adoption of his body by the redemption of Christ. The symbol of the burial cave becoming the place of the resurrection of Christ symbolically indicates the membership of a person to Zion, that is, the chosen by God remnant. We need to ask the question, what in our situation is the price for the right to inherit the lot in the name of God, Rock of Israel, that we need to pay for the burial cave so that we can receive the right to the power to collaborate your death with the death of Jesus Christ, that in result we can then have the legitimate foundation to collaborate our life with the resurrection of, G- of Jesus Christ. Relevant to this, I will bring forth three testimonies in Scripture that reveal the meaning of the price that is contained in 400 shekels of silver that Abraham had paid for the burial cave. These are just examples. We'll see where this happens or why this happens. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people there that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. He said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all of the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over the Jordan with with my staff and now I have become... Uh, two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he came and attack me and the mother with the children. For you you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants at the, as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Genesis 32, 6-12. And so, we are afraid of our brother, that's we are afraid of our soul, that is uncrucified. Our soul, soul our flesh, it's uncrucified. It has such lusts. It has such desires that not a single person has yet been able to withstand. And only collaborating with God in the truth of the cross of Christ is this possible. There is no other way. Why Christian people are afraid and they look at their end afraid holding on to just something, maybe God will show mercy. If you're looking at your grave already and your lust and you are tearing you apart. One Episcopal once told me, he, he met with his brother, another Episcopal, or his friend, another Episcopal, who was near 70 years old. He's like, he said, I'm ready to divorce my wife. And he, and he said, what happened? And he said, well, she doesn't sexually satisfy me. If you can imagine this picture, these people want to go to heaven and they will be buried with great uh, colors, but when, when as a person who slides down a hill, uh, 
on the snow. Similarly, these people are sliding into hell. And so, when there's lust that controls you or overcomes you, there's a simple desire that you control, and there's it's just normal, and there's nothing uh, sinful about that. You want a connection with your wife or husband. But when a person begins to make things up or have other ideas, this is lust. Why is this in him? Why has he not collaborated with God to be delivered from this sinful uh, component in himself and so 400 people he had with him Jacob had with him and so 400 shekels of silver he used to buy the 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 great the tomb of rock the price to be delivered from Esau symbolizing the price of the soul of Jacob as well as the symbol of the price of our soul was the loss of the soul of Jacob as well as the loss of our soul in the death of the Lord Jesus such a price linked to obtaining our body for the Lord is demonstrated in sanctification which demonstrates itself in denying and separating from our nation the house of our father and our own life the price gave us the right to purchase the burial cave in the rock as our own so we can bury so we can be buried in the death of our Lord Jesus so we can rise in his resurrection because of such as because of such a sanctification we have been clothed into the virtue of a stranger one that is fatherless and a widow and lost the ability to protect ourselves so we can give God the proper foundation he needs to be our father our judge and our avenger and they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God 400 lambs as a sin offering for all Israel Ezra 617 400 shekels of silver <clears throat> we're supposed to bring these uh, 400 lambs we need to bring ourselves in these 400 lambs to understand that these 400 lambs is our soul. We need to place ourselves upon the altar. We need to scream to God, Lord, I want this. Lord, deliver me from my soul. Deliver me, otherwise I will perish. This is how Jacob prayed in fear and horror, and God delivered him. He said, God, you promised me, and now he is coming. God promised, and suddenly lusts, desires start rising in our body. They're showing their face, and you don't know what to do. You need to sanctify yourself. Sanctification is separation. Because when we die for our soul, for the house of our father and for our corrupt desires all this needs to be combined you can't die for your nation and not die for the house of your father or or die for your nation but not die for the house of your father or die for your house of your father but not die for your corrupt desires you can't separately just die for one and not the others <clears throat> and so our flesh does uh, worship uh, our nation and the house of our father and this is automatic but only when you die for the house of your father your nation then do you stop depending upon your nation and it become, begins depending on you that's when, then when you can pray for your nation because you no longer depend on it it's not possible possible to be a light for the world uh, a light in your house or your family if you haven't died for them 
if you haven't died, then you're in servitude to them and will do everything as they desire. In result of such sanctification, when we die in the death of the Lord Jesus for our nation, for the house of our Father, and our corrupt desires, as a result of this, sanctification, it identifies the price for obtaining the burial cave and the rock. We have been clothed into the death of Christ when we do this, which has given God the proper foundation to erect in our body the resurrection of Christ and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. It gives God the proper foundation to open up to us this promise. When we hear about this promise, we receive it into our heart and begin to proclaim this promise as existent, although we may not see it visibly. God already accounts this to us as righteousness, and when the time comes for the fulfillment of this promise, then it will happen. And when you will base everything not on what you're feeling or your emotions, but your the information that you hear and begin to confirm that, I died with the body of Christ for my sin, for the old person. I consider myself dead to sin, living for God, and you proclaim the non-existent stronghold of life that you have received in the form of a seed and that you are right now are growing into the fruit of the tree of life as existent. The fruit of resurrection that is obtained in the purchasing purchased by us burial cave for 400 shekels of silver presents the price of sanctification that has turned into the rock of resurrection and streams of living water that flow. The result of fruit of resurrection within our body is presented symbolically as the fruit of 400 pomegranates that are placed into two networks at the top of two pillars of the temple that were named Jackin and Boaz. Haram made the le- the lavers and the shovels and the bowls. So Haram finished doing all the work that he was to do for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. The two pillars, the two bowl-shaped capitals that were on top of the two pillars, the two networks covering the two bowl-shaped capitals which were on top of the pillars, 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals that were on top of the pillars. First King 740-42. We are aware that the outer part of the temple represents the symbol of our body. The temple itself represents our soul, and the Holy of Holies represents our spirit. The outer temple is our body. There are two pillar, uh, bronze pillars that have the 400 pomegranates that are upon these networks. There was one and two and a second row, and they faced one another. What does this mean? The two pillars themselves, Jas, Jack, Kent, and Boaz, and so that, that meant that the entry of the temple is our mouth, our tongue, and so in our mouth, the confessions of our mouth, we have the faith of God, that is the Urim and the Thummim. You confess the power of God, the truth of God, anointed by the Holy Spirit. These uh, 400 pomegranates, that means that we have confirmed the the covenant that is between us and God, an eternal covenant, as Gerizim and Ebal, where the law was being confirmed, if you remember, by the Israelites. And all the items of the temple, you'll see these, the bronze sea, the two circles that were, uh, there were also other types of fruit that were formed or created in other parts of the temple, you'll see all these symbols 
This is a confer- uh, established covenant. God wanted to show man that this covenant is established. You've established, you've confirmed it. It has come to, to power. And because it has, we can boldly thank God that the stronghold of life in our body is erected. It is because of the covenant that we have established with Him. And we proclaim that not existent as existent, and in patience we wait. In perseverance and patience we wait for the promise to be fulfilled. We know that this is already placed upon our account, it's there. You know, while a person has not accepted this promise into their heart, there's nothing upon his account, but as soon as he receives this into his heart, what he receives into his heart is put upon his account in Jesus Christ. And now the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ is upon our account. We don't need to wait when we die, or how we will die. Yes, This is the last days, and it's possible that our time will either be witnesses that our body will be clothed into the pearl nacre, the immortality. But we see that some who have received this promise, they die, and we think, how is it that they, but it's written that they died in the faith, not having received the promise, that they without us would not have achieved this perfection. They died, but they did not yet achieve that perfection. They will receive it together with us. Or, to be more accurately, a little bit earlier than us, they will resurrect already immortal first, and then we will be uh, put on this pearl nacre of immortality. And for a certain amount of time, we still will be on earth. Walk before God, and God will need to show the victories and how death was devoured by victory because God has not shown this in the history of Christianity. He said, it will come to pass my word, death will be devoured by victory. But this has not yet happened. And rapture is not that result. The result will be our adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ and rapture is just a sign of that but the fact that we have a guarantee of this morning star that we have died in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ we paid the price of sanctification these these networks that we see and on these networks there are those pomegranates what are these networks and so this means that we are in brotherly love God's net is always his love he captures us into his love and so those nets satanic nets are uh, jealousy and hatred and so these uh, two pillars Boaz and Jackant we see that they are facing one and the other and we see brotherly love there and this also means that we are ruling over our body the old person is already bound already bound we already bound him you say well I don't feel that you don't need to feel it you need to know it this is information knowing that the old person 
with Christ has died, and because he has died, he's been bound. He, we talked about he died and he's been bound. Death and being bound is the same thing for him. The fact that he's in your prison, he was upon the throne previously, but now you've made for him a prison, you've put him into this prison, and he will be there for a specific amount of time until this will be thrusted out from your body with noise. I once talked about that I saw a vision where God showed me my old person who was in a prison. And so when he's in a prison, he does not have power. He's not just, uh, it's not that he uh, is just removed from the throne, but he doesn't have power. He's His title's been taken from him, but he also is bound. You will bind on earth that has been already bound in heaven. And so on in heaven, God already bound the old person. We are not given to bind demons on earth. We need to step upon them, rebuke them. But the old person, he needs to be bound. And when a person doesn't understand this, instead of binding their old person, they're trying to bind demons in the name of Jesus. And so what happens next? The demon obeys the law. He understands that by the law he's bound. He, he's not being bound. He's supposed to be thrusted out, not bound. And so he uh, pretends to be bound and, and plays along. And so then you know that they say, Lord, we with your in your name, we rebuke demons. We drove out demons in your name. They'll tell God, if you remember. But you didn't drive them out. You just uh, moved them around. Summing up the given component of the price, giving God the proper foundation to be our rock, we conclude that a conscious and voluntary decision to identify with the death of Christ so that we can receive the proper foundation to be identified with Him in His resurrection is focused upon the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ. We need to not forget this focus, never walk away from this goal. Whatever service you have, it is secondary. Our calling is to adopt our body by the redemption of Christ. And for this, you need to pay the appropriate price of sanctification. For this, you need to die together with Christ in the tomb. To die in the tomb, you need to, in the cave, you need the name of God, Rock. Because he died in the rock. He died upon the cross, but they put him into the rock. His body was in this rock, hewn from the rock. And in this rock, his body also resurrected. I saw this rock. And I saw myself in this rock, too. God allowed me to see it. I once uh, said this. I was not uncomfortable. It was interesting. I experienced, I felt some kind of peace and comfort there. Although I was laying in this rock, I experienced comfort. I didn't have any fear. I was waiting. During this uh, dream, I didn't understand what this what this was. I ex- understood it later when the Holy Spirit explained it. I saw in the distance of this uh, of this uh, of this tomb there was a, a a pathway and it went to hell. 
And so the dragons, uh, the, the, the dragon, he kept hiding his face. Every time I look, he turned his face away, couldn't look at me. I saw that I had power over him. And then I saw throne, and I saw an untied person that had a criminal face, and he stretched out his hand so, to help support me to lift me up. And I asked him, who are you? His hand was very cold, and he said, your old person, your soul. And I said, be removed from me in the name of Jesus Christ. And he went into that same hell together with the dragon. And so, to wait in patience calmly, when God will resurrect us, he resurrected Christ, but each one of us need to walk through that process. You need to purchase this hewned out uh, tomb, this cave, as Joseph from Arimathea, who created it for himself, who hewned it out for himself, but gave it to Christ to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us, in any circumstances, you would be able to rejoice, no matter what circumstance, whatever illness may come, what loss you may experience, especially right now, before this happens, our loss will be more, our illnesses will be more. They say, what is this? Why in the church is there so much illness? Almost everyone is suffering with some kind of illnesses. And I rejoice. And you know why? Because this is at the door of the fact that this will soon end. Because people who always say, we need to use the Holy Spirit for healing. Yes, we pray, Lord, heal, and we offer healing. But He heals us, but He wants us to hold on by faith to this healing. That whatever weakness may we may be in, in weakness will He show His grace, and in our illnesses He will show His resurrection also, specifically in that state. And so we are are at the new day. We are very, very close to it. Let us now bend our heads and pray. And may the Lord bless us in this worship. We will thank Him for that word that we were able to hear today. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I again and again, with fear, with reverence, with boldness, with joy, I proclaim your resurrection upon this place, because upon this place is your death. As your death is here, then upon this place your resurrection will be within our bodies. You are blessed in your mercy and your goodness in your word that you have revealed to us because your word is uh, forever, it abides forever, and we have concealed it into our hearts so we not sin. May your nation be given a full victory over the ancient serpent so that they may be able to overcome it with the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and not lo love their lives even to the death so that they may have a part with Christ in his resurrection. May your mercy be blessed and may all the works of the devil be cursed, illnesses, poverty in your children. 
may they become rich in faith and may they consider your word and a great wealth and a great treasure because it will soon show also on earth this wealth that nothing can compare to because everything is being prepared for fire and destruction soon the calamities will increase on earth then cataclysms and in nature will become worse and more volatile viruses will be even stronger and will put mankind to a complete halt but you've given us hope upon which we trust that you will deliver us from all misfortunes from all sorrow from all difficulty and you will lead us into the kingdom of your beloved son may your the kingdom of your son be glorified in us in our souls and may your mercy be greater and greater within our body we have whatever we have because of your mercy may you be lifted up in us and through us our great God Son and Holy Spirit Amen our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Remain at the feet of Christ and wait, and you will see your deliverance.
And now let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.